Exodus chapter 21. Let's go before the king one more time and ask him to bless our study time. Father, Lord, despite my sickness, I pray that you would speak to the people. I pray that you heal me, Lord, in the midst. And Lord, you would give great words to be able to minister to your people. They'd understand the ways of you, God. They would understand your thoughts. They would understand your heart. That's what we desire tonight, Lord, is to draw close to you, Jesus. So please speak to us, minister to us, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 21. What just happened in Exodus chapter 20, the last chapter? The Ten Commandments were given. The Ten Commandments were given. The same Ten Commandments that have been ripped off, what is it, the judges' walls, and ripped off all kinds of buildings, and ripped out of our society and ripped out of this United States they used to claim them amazing in God we trust on our money interesting put your hand on the Bible I pledge allegiance these things that used to be really pushed within our society and I mean even 50 years ago are really being just wiped off the face of the earth here within our country the Ten Commandments I'm really excited the way this has been set up because Exodus chapter 20, God comes and gives these ten commands. Commands the people to abide by. And what happens in Exodus chapter 21 is God also continues giving commands, but they're just random, I mean they are random commands and laws that are given kind of practically for everyday life. And you're going to see, like, if... You dig a hole and you forget to cover it up and one of your neighbor's sheep falls in and he dies. You gotta pay him some money for the sheep, and we're gonna see that tonight. Random stuff. God giving instruction for exact situations. Now, I want to read something to you from Yes, from Chuck Smith's commentary, and I'm actually going to be using a lot of Corson's commentary tonight, because this passage does not really have much there. It is just straight up. It just tells you what the law is and that's it. And some of these laws are hard to understand. It's like, what does that exactly mean? How does that work? Corson gives a great insight on what is happening and, and how this law is applied to their life in that day. And I really, to tell you the truth, I'm not learned on this topic. I don't know what was happening in that day, in that era, in those times where I could speak with authority and tell you what these laws meant and how they were to apply to each person's life. And so I thought it would be better than me trying to act as if I knew and read a bunch of commentaries and speak as if I knew. I'll just read it to you and then try to expound on what is being taught there. Okay? But I want, I want you to listen to uh, Chuck, what he has to say on this. Just an opening statement on Exodus chapter 21. He says this. He says, Now the judgments are really for the judges. Huh? The judges back in Exodus chapter 18. Do you remember? Jethro? Do you remember Moses and Jethro, his father-in-law? I'm gonna, I'll read the passage to you, because I have it here. It's, and I got it in a New Living Translation, so it's really easy to listen to. Just check this out. Back in Jethro's day, with uh, back in Moses' day with Jethro, his father-in-law, this is what happens. The next day, Moses sat, as usual, to hear the people's complaints against each other. Remember? Moses was sitting there on the seat, and people would line up, three million of them, to come and listen. And Moses would sit there and listen to all of their complaints 
to all of their problems, to all their situations. They stole that, and she looked at me wrong in the tent, and so-and-so did this, and she took my stake out, and whatever. You know, it's like, all these problems, Moses is sitting there trying to discern, and he is sitting there day and night, and we'll see here in the passage, giving counsel to these people. And look what Jethro says, his father-in-law. <laughs> gives him some wisdom. Moses sat as usual to hear the people's complaints against each other. They were lined up in front of him all morning till evening. That's a long time. That is a long... Morning till evening. Morning till evening. Morning. See, morning for us is not when the sun comes up, friends. <laughs> morning for us a lot of times is, you know, 9, 10 o'clock. That's like morning time. You know, that's pretty good. No, but morning time back in that day is when the sun comes up. The sun comes up, what, 5.30? About 5.30 now. I would love to see the sunrise again. <laughs> but morning till evening, that's about, I mean, at least 12 hours you sitting there in the sun, just listening to people all day long. I mean, I would be ticked. Like, I'm fed up with you people. Get out of my face. I can't deal with you people. And I remember even when I was working at the church. I would get, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Even when I was working at the church. Now listen. No, no, you, you, we counsel people, you know, we counsel sometimes the youth and even families who come in. And you tell them, and you tell them what, the, you know, what they need to do. Look, this is what the Bible says, this is what you need to do. And they're just like, well, I don't know, I don't know if they can do, what about this, what about this? It's just like, I told you what to do, now do it, you know, like, what are you waiting for, you know, like, the Bible says so, like, what are you, what's going on in your mind, why are you justifying? And, because me in my life, the way I've always been, and I'm, I'm kind of a really critical kind of person, like, if, if I see something that needs to be done in my own life personally, I'm hard on myself. If I fail, then I get really down on myself, and I, I'll beat myself up and say, you know, I can't, like, if I forget something, I just, I fall to pee, I can't believe I forgot, you know, and I just, anyways, so I would push this on others, you know, like when I'd be sitting there, and I could see Moses, like, he's been faithful to God, man, he went up on the mountain, I mean, he's been climbing up and down, he brought the Ten Commandments, all this stuff, and these people are not listening. These people are not faithful. He is probably discerning, giving them wisdom as I sit there in the chair trying to give wisdom and counsel these high school kids and they just don't, they're not listening. Frustrating. So Moses, man, he needed some wisdom. Look at verse, uh, don't look at verse 14, just listen to verse 14. It's in Exodus chapter 18. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, why are you trying to do all this alone? The people have been standing here all day to get your help. Moses replied, Well, the people come to me to seek God's guidance. When an argument arises, I am the one who settles the case. I inform the people of God's decision and teach them the laws and instructions. What patience is man had? This is not good, his father-in-law explained. You are going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing Him their questions to be decided. You should tell them God's decisions, teach them God's laws and instructions, and show them how to conduct their lives. But find some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Hate bribes? I can't believe we just said that. <coughs> hate bribes? I mean, what were the people doing? Like, trying to bribe the guy, like, you know, hey, Moses, you know, I got a problem here. Just please judge that guy, you know, here's 50 bucks, you know, like, take care of it for me. 
I can't believe this, who are honest men and who hate bribes, appoint them as judges over the groups, one, one thousand, one hundred, one fifty, and one ten. These men can serve the people, resolving all the ordinary cases. Anything that is too important or too complicated can be brought to you. But they can take care of all the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God directs you to do so, love that, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He he chose capable men from all over Israel and made them judges over the people. They were put in charge of groups of, again, 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were constantly available to administer justice. They brought the hard cases to Moses, but they judged the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. So, you see what's happening here. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people possibly. Moses can't figure this out. I mean, he's probably been trying to. Can you imagine being a person in line, and at the end of the day, Moses is like, I'm tired, sorry. You know, it's just like, I've been waiting in line all day. You know, I mean, who knows what kind of issues arose then. (coughs) So this is wisdom. You know, there's a lot of issues in the church. There's a lot of problems there in the congregation. This is what you are to do. So this is what he did. He said judges overall. Now, this commentary that Chuck speaks about, or this commentary that he gives us on this passage, these instructions that are given apply to the judges in Moses' day. Those people that were set over the congregations, these rules and regulations were guidelines. And we'll see this. This is what Chuck says. Now, the judgments are really for the judges. You remember they appointed 70 to rule over the lesser. Or they appointed men over thousands, men over hundreds, men over fifties, men over tens, to judge the smaller matters so that they would only bring the major cases to Moses, so that Moses wouldn't be bogged down. Jethro said, hey, you know you're going to kill yourself standing here all day, judging the matters of the people. So these are the judgments or the guidelines for the judges who are judging in these matters that are brought before them. These are the judgments, the guidelines for the judges. These are not an individual kind of retaliation kind of thing you're supposed to take. But these are the standards that have been set for the judges. The term judgment, judgments referred to the standards set for the judges. So, that's what this is. That's what this text is. That's what Exodus chapter 21 is. They are not only specific rules and regulations for the people, but more specifically for the judges that were set in place under Moses, you see? And so that's what we're looking at here. These are more like guidelines. The judges, they have all these things memorized. They understand the law thoroughly. And so when they stand before the people, they are able to delegate and to command correctly. And so we're going to look at these tonight. There's some interesting stuff going on. But before we jump, in, before we jump into this, just one more thing. Um, Jay's going to actually stand up and give this to us, and I think I will expound on it as we move through the text. But... What I want Jay to stand up and share with you is these laws, rules, and regulations make me think, like, this is crazy. Like, why would God say, do this or do that? That doesn't even make sense, you know, or, or maybe some of the laws in the Old Testament don't make sense to us. What we must understand is God, when He puts a command into play, it's true, it has reason, it has logic behind it. It has reason every single time. Like, God would never stand up, like I wrote the devotional day, and say, don't look at the color blue. Well, why? 
just don't look at it because I said so. You know, like, he is not that kind of gaudy. That's not what he's going to do. But he would say, don't touch a hot stove. Because that's, because why? You know, it's going to burn you. It's, it's reasonable. There's reason behind the law. And every single law that has been set in the Bible, there's reason behind it. So Jay's going to expound a little bit more for us on that. And to give some examples of how other religions kind of are idiots about it. <laughs> Truly, yeah. Anyhow, yeah, like Josh said, um, when we see chapters like this in the scripture, we, we often think, like, man, how, how dry and dull. What kind of application can we get from something like this? How is this even relevant to our lives, you know, in the present day? I mean, what's this business about a, a, a digging a hole and uh, what if your neighbor's sheep falls in? I mean, how is that relevant to us? We don't own sheep. We don't live on a farm. We live in the middle of the riverside, you know? So... How are these things relevant to us? Well, this in particular wouldn't really be relevant to us, but there is a rhyme and a reason behind it. And everything in the scripture, you'll find that our faith is reasonable. And it has it has reason behind it. It has logic behind it. It has meaning behind it. Everything that God does. When other religions don't necessarily have that same rhyme and reason, and this is one of the things, one of the affirmations of the Christian faith, is that it is, in fact, reasonable. And that it aligns with logic and reason. Now, when you're looking at a chapter like this, these kinds of laws, these were relevant to the people of the day. Okay, they're not relevant to us today, but there are things that are relevant to us today that we can take into account. But other religions would take laws like this and take them out of context, like uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, per se. Okay, they uh, in, in Leviticus, lots more laws are given, and when we get to that, you'll see there's tons and tons of laws given None of them, uh, or I should say some of them, don't make much sense to us in this present day. But in Leviticus 17, uh, chapter, or verse, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as it to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Now that seems reasonable, because, I mean, don't be a cannibal, don't eat blood, it's an unclean thing to do. But the Jehovah's Witnesses have somehow derived from this that we are not to have blood transfusions. And thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jehovah's Witnesses over the years have died because they have refused to take blood transfusions all in the name of some erroneous claim from some man who, who claimed that he had the correct interpretation of the Bible. When in reality, there's no good reason for that. It's stupidity. There's no good reason for it. But there is good reason for believing God's laws in general. You just have to study the context and know that our faith is a reasonable faith and that what the Christian faith advocates is logical. And really, what uh, what you can what you can do, I use an illustration often to, to kind of to kind of show how the Christian faith is reasonable in comparison to other faiths. Now, you want to use reason. You want to use logic in everything that you do on a daily basis. You don't ever want to negate to do that. Just because we have faith doesn't mean that we don't use good reason behind it. What's the definition of faith? Faith is trust, right? We're trusting in God, even though it may not make sense at the time. We can't see the whole spectrum of things. We only have tunnel vision. We don't see the way everything works. But God, on the other hand, is outside of time. God sees the way everything works. We don't. We have tunnel vision. God does not have tunnel vision. So when he implements a law that may not make sense to us, it makes perfect sense in the, in the, in the large scheme of things. Um, so we want to use reason and logic. Now, say when you come to a street court, okay, everybody on a daily basis uses faith. Don't let anybody ever try to tell you, well, you have faith, I have faith. And your faith is not reasonable. Wrong. 
everybody on the face of the earth uses faith on a daily basis. And here's one small illustration. You walk to the street corner out there. Okay, you want to you take a walk across the street. You look to your left, you look to your right, and you proceed across when it's safe, right? And you make it across the street. However, you have faith in crossing the street. You have faith because you cannot prove empirically that you're not going to get hit by a bus when you, when you walk across the street. Can you? You can't prove that. So you're taking a risk, you're taking a chance. However, your faith was pretty reasonable. Why? Because you used your God-given logical deduction skills. You looked to your right, you looked to your left. You saw there was no oncoming traffic, so you proceeded across the street. Um, however, you couldn't prove that you were going to make it across safe, safely. But your faith was nonetheless reasonable. And that's the kind of faith that we have. We have reasonable faith that we can demonstrate by using logic and reason. However, there are other faiths that are not reasonable and not logical. Um, say you walk to that same street corner and you wanted to take a, a walk across the street and you saw tons of oncoming traffic. But you said, brother, I'm going to pray by faith. I'm going to make cross this street. And you proceed to walk across the street regardless of what's staring you in the face, oncoming traffic. Brother, I didn't care, man. I'm going to speak into existence. Walk across the street, you're going to get hit and you're going to look like a fool. Okay? And you're going to end up dead. And that's the same exact correlation we have between our faith and other faiths. If you choose to put your faith in something that's not reasonable or logical, uh, say, like the God of the Watchtower Society or the, or the, the, uh, the Mormon faith or other <coughs> gods that aren't real, uh, Allah, okay? I mean, these, these are good, moral, respectable people, but they've got it wrong. They don't have the correct God, and uh, we do. We have a reasonable faith, and that's the correlation. The Christian faith is the one that's going to get you there safely, and the other faiths are going to get you hit and killed. So keep that in mind when you're, when you're looking through the Scripture and you're looking through these laws. Know that God has rhyme and reason behind everything that he does. There's, it's not that there's no reason for it, and it's not applicable to you. So always be looking out for that rhyme and that reason that God has. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jay. Uh -huh. You see that? You, you see what he is saying clearly? Period. Every single law written has a reason and a rhyme behind it. Period. God did not just say, don't look at blue. He did not say things. He does not say things like that. There is always a reason. And I always thought, when I was young, young Christian, when I was being raised in the church, I wondered why God had told me not to do certain things. Like, well, why not? Because my dad would say things like, sorry, Dad. But my dad would say things like, don't do it because I said so. I'd say, well, why? Because I said so, and I'm the dad, and you'll listen to me. And, and I'm sure I'll probably do that when I'm a parent, too, one day, you know, because it's just, you know, what you, it's just what happens sometimes. But, but I always asked for a reason. I always wanted a, a reason why. And when I understood, like even now, as I look back, now I see why, why my dad said no. Now I see, even though he wasn't giving me a reason then, I know exactly why he was saying no. I know exactly why my Father in Heaven has been saying no to certain things and yes to certain things. It's because he's watching out for you. He has reason and right behind everything. And I would even challenge you guys to trust the things that God says in His Word first, even before finding out reason sometimes. That you would just trust in Him, put your faith in Him, and believe that this thing is 100% accurate. But that also, yes, you would challenge it and, and see what the reason is behind it. You should. But first and foremost, to believe in our King and to trust in Him when He says to do something. It's like, believe that I'm going to pull through in this situation. 
but Lord, this, 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 how's all this going to work out? I said, believe me. I said, trust me. You don't need to know why. You need to have peace. You need to have rest. You need to trust in the King, period. That's it. Plain and simple. So, we're just going to blow through these laws and, and check them out and see how we might be able to gain some insight from them. But um, we're just going to kind of see how they're reasonable, pretty much, to kind of prove this point. And then there'll be some cool points also in there. So Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 21, verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 6 here. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, she shall bore him, or she have bore him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, "I love my master, my wife, and my children," I will not go out free. That his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awe, and he shall serve him forever. Okay, so what does all that mean? <laughs> well, let me explain. Okay, let me, well, let me just read this just real quick to you. At various times in history, this passage has been a hotbed of controversy. Why? Because it deals with slavery. Is God instituting slavery here? No. Slavery was already deeply embedded into the fabric of the Hebrew culture. It was already happening. Therefore, God was not introducing or instituting slavery, but rather regulating it. The same principle is seen concerning divorce in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus makes it clear that divorce was not God's intent, but because of the hardness of men's heart, God regulated it. So too in Matthew chapter 19, you see, God is not putting his hand on slavery and saying, yea and amen to that, by no means. Nor does he say, yea and amen to divorce. But God gives us specific things in detail on what to do about divorce or when a person is allowed to be divorced, you see. And so too with this. That said, the parameters God places on salvation, on slavery, are telling indeed. Male slaves, this is explaining the passage, male slaves were required to serve a maximum of six years. You see that? There in the passage it says he'll serve six years. And then after that, if he wanted to remain to be in service of his master, he would be taken to a doorpost where his ear would be pierced, signifying that he was a slave by choice. Stop there with my reading. So, a slave, six years. He would be a slave, and on the seventh year he's allowed to go free. But if he wanted, and he loved, and he enjoyed being a slave with his master, and he had kids, and maybe a wife, then he was allowed to be a slave by choice. And you know this as what? You Bible students? Bond slave, yes. A bond slave. A slave by choice. A bond servant, Paul says that he is. And a bond slave, what would happen is, it was something that was instituted before God, where somebody would make a decision and say, I want to be a slave to this man forever. And they would put him up on the doorpost, and they would pierce through his ear some kind of golden uh, earring. And it would show that this is a bond slave to this master. And that's the way they did it there. That is what, um, and why they did it. So, law instituted here, what God said about slaves and servants. And he is not putting his hand on slavery. Let's move on. Verse 7 here. 
And if a man sell his daughter to be a maid servant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. We'll stop there. Uh oh, what does that mean, Josh? Listen up. If a man sell his daughter, it says, to be a maid servant, she shall not go out as the men do. Although it initially seems unfair that male slaves could go free after six years, but female slaves couldn't, this is actually a blessing for the woman. You see, so back in this day, if there was slavery going on, if a man was to sell off his daughter, which it happens sometimes, but you're thinking, this is crazy. How could somebody sell off their daughter? Why would they do something like this? No, 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 listen up. This is, good. And this is actually a blessing for the woman in these days. And this is why. You see, when families were under extreme financial pressure, they would often sell their children into slavery. While a father might think his daughter could handle being a slave for six years, God says she would serve not for six years, but for life. Therefore, I believe this differentiation was God's intent that parents give serious and sober consideration to their actions concerning their daughters. So what's happening is, is when people were in financial need, they would realize that if they would sell them to someone else, that they would be better off in a rich family. They would be better off with that family being taken care of. And the women, see, in those times, they were not out working like a madman, you know, like, like out in the field, plowing the field, doing all these things. They couldn't go down and get a corporate job here and multitask, you know, and be amazing at this. No, that wasn't happening in those days. A woman would stay in the house, take care of the children, these kind of things. So, so this would be, a, this could be, and would be a blessing. Or she'd stay at home with her father all her days, and they would struggle financially. So, you see, God would institute this that she would be committed to this family forever, which would be a blessing for her. We're going to move on here to verse eight and nine. I lost my place. There we go. Verse eight and nine. <clears throat> if she pleases not her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed to sell her unto the strange nation he shall have no power seeing that he has dealt deceitfully with her and if he has betrothed her unto his son he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters and let me move on to some more explanation if after making preparation to marry one of his slaves a man changes his mind he can't sell the woman he intended to marry to someone else because he, he must return her to her family. And if a man buys a slave to be a bride of his son, he must treat her not as a slave but as a daughter-in-law. So just two quick points there. He says, if a man has a slave who is a woman or a servant and he chooses to marry her but then pulls out and backs out on it, he is not allowed to keep her as a slave anymore. If he said that he was going to marry her, because see... With marriage comes all kinds of uh, obligations, you know, like taking care of all of her days and being committed and they, you know, under the wing of the, the head of the house and being taken care of financially, all the rest. And then if he pulls out and says, no, I don't want to get married, he is not allowed to have a woman anymore. He has to now let her go back to her family. He's not allowed to keep her as a slave. And secondly, if a man, um, if he also buys a woman or a woman comes and he he tries to give her to her son, and his son ends up wanting to marry her, and they get married, he is not allowed to treat her as a slave anymore, but as a daughter-in-law. Let's move on. Let's move on. We're going to read verse 10 and 11 here. And if you take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall not be diminished. And if he do not these three unto her, 
then shall he go out without money. Again, God is not endorsing polygamy, but regulating it. As you go through the Word, you'll see God's unfolding revelation. There will be clarification on this matter, but at this point, the requirement to take care for wives, or to treat slaves fairly, would alone be a shock in the ears of the people. Other cultures knew nothing of this. So this was happening everywhere in the world. Slaves and all this stuff in this culture. But guess what? God was establishing rules for these slaves and regulations on how it's supposed to be taken care of, how they're to treat the people, not beating them or doing these crazy things. And so this would have been, you know, kind of a slap in the face of the people. Like, what? Are you serious? We have to start doing this now? Are you crazy? But God is instituting these things. He is not saying yay and amen to polygamy, by no means. Let's move on. Verse 12 and 13. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place where he shall flee. Straight up, it tells us, says he commits second degree murder, would not be held to the same standard as one who commit first degree, or premeditated murder, <coughs> intentional murder. If it was premeditated intentional, you're dying. You, you, dead. You're a dead man. Straight up. If you sit there, you know how many people do that in our day and age? Do you guys look at the newspaper? If you don't, you should. You start reading it. How many deaths that happened in murder? I should have looked up a statistic for us. But, you know, think about it. We as Christians, if we get angry at somebody, you know, we have the grace of God in our lives that He has forgiven us and set us free, you know. And we know that we can forgive them and let them go. But people who do not have Christ, and when they get angry, I mean, they're going to do whatever it takes to destroy them. And I think of this murder that's happening in this day and age. The pre- I mean, look at children killing their parents. What is this nonsense? In this day and age, oh, oh you're going you're gonna to think about killing someone? You were dead on the spot. Dead. Remember the judge? If he was to institute that, and he would watch it happen. Dead. They would die instantly. We're going to look at a couple of these things. I think, you know what? If we put a stricter law today, I believe that people wouldn't be doing things. It's like, if you kill somebody, and we know you kill somebody, you're going to die. Period. It's going to happen right now. We're not hesitating. We're not waiting. You know how many people would just, I mean, you think twice about killing somebody next time. You're going to die. You'll be put to death. And you're going to see some of these other laws that are set into play. You're going to think twice. Every single person in this time and time was definitely thinking twice about whether or not they're going to think about killing somebody or think about forgiving them or bringing it up to the judge. So let's move on here, verse 14. It says, But if a man comes presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with a guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. If a man intentionally killed someone, he couldn't take refuge at the altar. Peter warned us that we are not to use the liberty... Listen, this is a great point. Peter warned us that we are not to use our liberty for a cloak over us. Some people say, I've come to the altar or the table of communion so now I can do whatever I want. Asking for forgiveness. Like, I'm forgiven, right? So I can do whatever I want. Peter says, such a one doesn't understand that liberty and grace are not to be cloaked. They cover up for sin. He's saying, this is ridiculous. And if you're here tonight and you think that 
because you're forgiven and because God has forgiven you, that you can fall into sin and do whatever you want. You're mistaken, my friend. You will go down for that. By the hand of your own sin, by your own hand, you will slit your own wrist, you will slit your own throat, and you will die in your sin. Just because you're forgiven does not mean you can go around doing whatever you want. Look, Derek, what do you tell me all the time? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're invisible. That's right. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're invisible. He tells me that, you know. I'm just like, he just tells me, click it or ticket, Josh. Click it or ticket, you know. And I always forget. I always forget to put my seatbelt on. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're invisible, you know. I, I like what Levi said when he was teaching over Horace the other night. He said, hey, you can't walk around doing sin and doing whatever you want and then singing that, I've been justified. Just said, like, Singing your justified song as if I've never done anything wrong. It doesn't work like that, my friend. When you sin, there are repercussions. Don't take advantage of the liberty God has given you. God forbid! I hope that the forgiveness that He gives you motivates you to live for Him. That He's forgiven you time and time and time and time and time again for your sin. That you would say, snap! You're such a good God. Who has forgiven me this many times? No one. I will serve you because you've been so gracious. Not, oh, you're going to forgive me every time? Dang, I'm going on a sin rampage. You're going to be a bloody mess before you know it. I promise you, it will catch up to you. Verse 15. And he that smites his father or his mother shall be put to death by him. Straight up. I mean, it says it right there. There's no exceptions. If you smite your father or your mother, you try to swing on them, you're going down. Instantly. God doesn't mess around. What child should have any reason to be able to come against their parents? Maybe their parents, I mean, I, I could see maybe some instance where a parent's a jerk or just being this and that, but you know, a parent provides and nurtures and takes care of, gives a place to stay. I, you know what I used to do? Oh. I used to be like, oh, Dad, well, you're the one who wanted to have me. I said that. Well, you're the one who wanted to have me. You're the one who had this kid. And, and, and you have to provide for me, and you have to do these things. And so, you know, I, I was crazy. And I, I used to be slapped in the face for that. How dare I talk to my father that way, who worked 13, 15-hour days for me, a single parent with three boys trying to take care of us, and me, his son, giving him a hard time. That's ridiculous. If you're giving your parents a hard time, oh, God forbid, don't talk back. You love your parents. If they're being a jerk to you, you love on them anyways. You show them the grace that God has shown you. You bless them and minister unto them the best that you can. God forbid that you smite your parents. God would say you should be put to death. See, look at the next one that's about to come. I think it's two, two verses down. Yeah. Check out verse 16. And he that stealeth a man, stealeth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Kidnapping merits death as well. If you kidnap, you're dead. Period. These things set into play, people would think twice about that today. Oh, you want to swoop up on some little girl, you know, walking up from elementary school? You're dead. You're a dead man. You will die for this. Look at the next one. And he that curse his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. I mean, 
I should be dead. I'm a dead man. <laughs> I am a dead man. I confess. I, I, you listeners, I confess to you, you know, like, I don't think this means, you know, maybe the, the talking back or, you know, little stuff here, but I'm talking about, you know, lighten your parents up continually and you're just the most rebellious kid. You, they take him out to the edge of the city and stone him. You put to death. I mean, no messing around this day. Even the disrespect that I hear kids, I mean, in the grocery store to their parents, the language, I want to walk up and smack them in the face so you don't ever talk to your mom that way. I will light you up. <laughs> I'm serious, I want to say that. You know, I was listening to a message and I heard one pastor, he was, he was like this, this family counselor, He's known. He's well known for it. And he said that some kid was screaming and yelling. You know, he's like four years old and not getting his way in the in the grocery store. And this and that. And the parent wasn't disciplining him. He walked up to the child and grabbed him and said, "Hey, so you listen to your mother. You stop crying and be a little brat." He set him back down there, and the kid was just like, you know, just like all of a sudden silent. And she looked at him and she's like, "How'd you do that?" He's like, "Because I brought authority and I told him." what he wants and what he needs. Do you understand that children desire discipline? Do you understand, you, when you guys are parents one day, you must discipline your kids. The Bible says, Proverbs tells us, if you don't discipline your child, you hate them. And I believe that parents will discipline them and tell them the truth and let them know. Why? Because they love them. And you will discipline them and help them because you desire for them to be great kids. And I know, I wish my father would have disciplined me more. Dad, bring out the belt, man. Whip me every single time I mess up so that I can know what right is. I need to know. Me as a child, I don't know what's right is. I need to be taught. And so it's like, Lord, when the Father disciplines us, our King, Jesus, it's like, I say that, I've said that many times, Lord, break me, Lord, discipline me, teach me. Why? Because I want to be a better man. I really do. I really desire to be a godly man that fears Him. But when He starts disciplining and whipping me, it hurts, man. I can't take it. You know, it's like, no, boss, I don't want any more. I remember, I, even, I remember even a couple times I cried for my brothers when I heard them getting beat with the, with the belt, you know? But now I'd say, gain him and Lord, beat his father. <laughs> beat my brothers, you know, whip those boys. I also heard another statistic of men who go to prison and who have killed a man or something like this. They were doing a statistic that, I don't know how many men, but it, it was quite a bit of them. If they served their sentence and they were let free, a lot of times they would come back to prison. They'd say, I have not served my time, like... I have blood on my hands, don't you understand? And they would want to be punished for it, because maybe as a child they were never disciplined. I mean, I look at some people that we know who are having some problems, and they got put into this home, and, and they're, they're, they're older, you know, they're in their 20s, but they're being taken care of by this family, and, and the family, the mother of the family has just been like on them, like, no, you're going to do this, and you're going to listen, and they just love it. You know, like, well, I'm being told what to do. Like, Finally in my life, someone has told me what I need to do, what is right and wrong. They discipline me. They tell me I'm not going here and I'm doing this. Whether you understand it or not, my friends, right now, and you don't like it right now, I'm telling you that discipline is a wonderful thing and you will love it one day. And you will enjoy it. When you are a father, when you are a mother, and you are trying to discipline your children, you will see why. Because you're trying to instill in them roots that dig deep 
so they will do what's right when they have a job one day and not talk back to their boss. So when they get out in the real world and start walking around, they can't be a little, you know, brat. It's reality, you know? So understand these things and understand what God is saying here in this text. He's dead serious. Dead serious about these things. Let's move on here. Let's try to finish this up. I know I'm delaying here, but... It says there, If men strive together, verse 18, you there? In verse 18 and 19, If men strive together and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. And only he that he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. The man who strikes another must be paid for the time lost and the expenses of healing. That'd be a great thing to instill here. Oh, you want to swing on somebody at the bar? Okay. You are going to pay him for the time you can't work now, straight up. That's your fines. You're going to pay him because you have done wrong to him. doesn't matter what he said. You don't swing on anybody. You don't do that. Interesting. <coughs> Exodus chapter 21, verse 20 and 21. If a man smite his servant, or is made with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for it is his money. God de- declares that if a servant is hurt permanently, there is a price to pay. But if the servant is only bruised, there is no price to pay. An interesting word, indeed, for our society. I guess it's pretty self-explanatory. If a servant is hurt permanently, again, there's a price to pay. You've you got to pay for that. But if he's only bruised, there's no price to pay. It's kind of like, well, you know, just a bruise, you know. Wipe it off, you know. It's like, stop suing people, okay? Stop suing somebody because of these ridiculous things that we see in the news all day long. Let's uh, move on, 22 and 23. If men strive and hurt a woman with a child so that her fruit depart from her, he had no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. And if anyone, if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. <coughs> Imagine a barroom brawl in which one man hurls a chair at another. Okay? The intended target ducks, however, and a pregnant woman is hit. If she miscarries or gives birth prematurely, the per- perpetrator shall be punished. But if the woman dies, the perpetrator will be killed. But if the woman dies, I'm sorry, and again, God is elevating the status of a woman. For although her death was an accident, it was to be treated as first-degree murder. Interesting. The guy shouldn't have been messing around like that, even though it was an accident. And he, you know, if he kills a woman with a baby, I mean, that, that is a... God's showing that he has a precious hand upon a woman with a baby carrying. I mean, this is big time. I mean, if you kill somebody, even with second-degree murder, remember, it wasn't plotted out or anything like that. If it's an accident, there's still a big punishment that's going to happen. But if you kill somebody intentionally, you were trying to kill somebody, you are throwing a chair, you are trying to do something to hurt somebody, and you kill this woman, you will die. Period. Men would think twice about throwing something in a bar, huh? Next, verse 24 and 25. I'm sorry. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. 
Interesting. This is the one that we all know. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We've heard the phrase many times. And this here, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, it's, at first glance, it's kind of harsh. But in reality, it's an expression of God's mercy. Because, if you think about it, if somebody comes up and punched you and you lost your eye, okay, you're not going to just go back and punch them so they lose their eye. You want to kill them, okay? You, you want to do something a lot worse. A lot of times, people get in fights. Like, you see how it works with the gangs or this and that. So-and-so walks up and says something bad about so-and-so. And they swing on him, and the guy gets beat up. Then what? He comes back with his crew, and now they just, like, jump this guy, you know? And then the next guy comes back with guns. And, like, it's not eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Never. There's no justice served there. It's like, you do something to me, I'm coming with a bat. Oh, you come with a bat, I'm coming with a gun. It's never equal. It's never the same. This is almost like the mercy of God to say something like this. And so, this tendency, obviously not what what we have instilled in our day. Jesus says what? If you get hit in one in the cheek, what does he say? Turn your other to them, that they may smite you again. Wow. Amazing grace. And I think that, how does that work with our time? Does God change? I don't believe that he changes, but I do believe that maybe principles are different. Like, back in this, back in when your child is three years old, those of you who have kids, maybe none of us in here, but those of you who do, and uh, you know, when, 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 when they're three, you set up different rules and regulations. When they become 18, there are different rules and regulations. So too, with God back in the day in this time, and then now with a Savior coming, Jesus our King walking the earth and giving example, God says in this day, this is what is to happen. But now in our time, with Jesus our King giving us great forgiveness and setting an example for us, we're able to stand up and say, hey, Christ did that. He was smote on the cheek and definitely gave him the other cheek. We can do the same. Let's move on. 26 and 27. We're almost done here. If a man smite the eye of his servant, or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite, if he smite out his manservant's tooth, or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let them go free for his tooth's sake. I mean, so this stuff was happening in those days. Like, I... I I think when I think in Bible times, when I think back, like this kind of reality didn't really happen. Like you hit somebody and a tooth falls out. Like that, like that happens in movies in these days. But I guess it was really happening in that day too. So straight up, it tells us if if a uh, if a man if he strikes a servant in such a way that he loses a tooth or an eye, then the servant was allowed to go free. Period. Let's move on. Twenty-eight through thirty. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned. And his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox will, if the ox were wont to push with his horns in times past, and it has been testified to his owner that he has not kept him in, but that he had killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. A lot of words explanation. The first time an ox gored someone, it would be considered an accident. So first time an animal comes up and just like smashes somebody, okay, it's an accident. You know, we can we can deal with that. But if an ox demonstrates this again towards this or towards this behavior and he wasn't properly restricted, the ox must die and the owner must either die or settle momentarily. He's got to give him some money. We live in a day of animal rights activism. Yes, we do. 
God, however, makes it clear that people are more important than animals. See, it's like if an animal killed somebody in this day, it's like, oh, you know, come on, you know, it's like, you know, well, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's like, no, dead. You're dead, you're not going to kill anybody else, period. You, you're not go- it's not going to happen. God treasures a human a million more times than an animal, of course. This is obvious. That's our world, that's the world we live in. Verse 31 and 32. Whether he have gored a son, or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment, <coughs> shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall put a manservant or a maidservant, or push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. If it was a servant who was gored, a servant, the owner, the ox, was to pay thirty shekels of silver. Interesting. Interesting. A little bit of application here. If an ox comes and pushes over a servant or kills him or does something, then it was to be put to death. It was to be stoned. But only a price was, a price was to be paid of 30 shekels. Do you know another number of 30 shekels, another man that was sold for 30 shekels that was betrayed? Yes. Jesus, our king, was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The cost of a servant being pushed over by an ox is chump change. It's a great picture of the greatest servant to ever walk the earth, Jesus our King. And he was definitely pushed over and sold for 30 pieces, wasn't he? God of the universe, creator of the entire universe, was sold as a servant would be that was pushed over by an ox. This is ridiculous, man. How could the creator of the universe come down and be beat like that? How could the creator of the universe ride in on a donkey? Come on, man. You deserve a Clydesdale. You know, you deserve something. Why don't you roll in a Rolls Royce? You know, something real nice. Just, they would have never believed it in that day. You deserve that king. But he didn't. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. That shows the humility the heart of our God, the creator of the universe, the richest king to ever walk this earth and ever live, chooses to humble himself to the point of a servant being pushed over by an ox. I love it. I love the picture. Verse 33 and 34. Let's shut this down. we got one more after this. And if a man shall open a pit, what I was talking about earlier, if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it, and an ox or a donkey fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them. And the dead beast shall be his. <coughs> if an ox or a donkey falls into an open pit, the man who dug it and failed to cover it up would be responsible to pay for the animal. Period. you got to pay him some money. You're bad. You left the pit open, man. Get on that. I just, I just can't imagine this, though. Moses and his guys, you know, delegating these, like, okay, what happened? He dug a pit. <laughs> My donkey fell in it, you know, broke the leg. It's like, okay, we'll turn in Exodus chapter 21, verse 35. Or this is what, 34. This is what it says. Also into a pit, you pay him some money. So get on it. That's, that's just what the law says. It's just funny, you know? Verse 35 and 36. And if one man's ox hurt another's, that he die, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it and the dead ox also they shall divide. For if it be known that the ox has used to push in times past, 
and his owner has not kept him in, he shall surely pay an ox for an ox, and the dead shall be his own. So, if an ox killed another ox, and the owner of the dead ox, or the owner of the dead ox would receive half the value of the live ox. But if the live ox was prone to be aggressive in behavior before, the owner of the live ox would pay full price. If an ox walks up and kills another ox, then it's like the owner has to come and sell his ox that he has alive, that killed the other, sell it, and then they would divide the ox in half and they get to split the meat. Okay? That's that's genius. I mean, that's why. That's wisdom. Check this out. I own an ox. Jay owns an ox. Okay? My ox comes up and kills Jay's. <laughs> then what do I have to do? Sorry, Jay. Ox killed yours, man. Fuck. <laughs> so, I have to sell my ox and give Jay half the money. But the dead ox, Jay's ox, we cut it in half and we split the meat. Seems fair. Perfect. It's genius. Common sense, as these laws may seem, in the light of what other cultures were doing in this time, they were revolutionary. They truly were. This stuff that was going on in that day, revolutionary. God putting these laws into place, this wisdom, amazing. We need something like that in our day and age, huh? We, as a people, need to start crying out to our God to start changing things, or at least helping us to start living by the law of God. I'm going to read to you this last scripture. This is what I want to close on and meditate on is this. Matthew 22, 34-40. It says this. Listen, please. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees altogether, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first command. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. You want to fulfill all of the law? You want to fulfill the whole book right here? This thing, the manual to life? You want to understand it and live by it? There's so many laws. What do I do? There's so many things the Bible tells us to do. You want to fulfill every single one? You love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul. I believe this, friends. Any man, any woman who seeks God with all of their heart, falls on their face daily before the King, praises Him, spends time with Him, goes to Him about every situation in life, that you will have the law written on your heart without even having to look. You will know what to do in each situation because you are seeking the face of the Father. You will have unbelievable, miraculous wisdom and situations on how to do this and what to do about that. And you will fulfill the law. And you will be righteous before the King. Loving the Lord your God, spending time with Him, and then loving people. It's so simple. It's so easy. Do you have that memorized? Yeah. That's easy, you know. Love God, love people. Man, that's easy. That's simple. But why can't we get it together? Friends, family here tonight, love God. What does that mean for you? What does loving God mean for you? I know what it means for me. 
I know how to love God by myself. And I know when I don't love God. Simple, basic. You want to fulfill these things? God says what? You obey my law and you will be blessed above all men, above all nations. You want to be blessed above all nations? Don't do it just, I'm going to get blessed. I'm going to get hooked up. Gosh. Realize what God has done for you. And say, I want to fulfill your law. And I want. Is it a bummer to love God and love people? That's not a bummer. It's not lame. Oh, gosh. can't believe the Lord's want me to love Him. <laughs> Sorry if I spit on you. <laughs> That's lame. You mean He wants you to love people? Come on. Is it not the greatest gift that we can share with people? Is it not the greatest thing that we can reach out? Hey, who are you not loving today? Think about it. Who is it? Who do you have a hard time loving? Reach out. Look at your life and your situations. How can you practically, right now in this moment, love God? How can you practically love someone in a supernatural way? Ask yourself. Apply these things and you will fulfill the entire book. It's easy, it's simple. Christianity is the most complicated amazing thing because of our God and who He is, but at the same time the most simple of all religions. There's not a bunch of rules and regulations to live by, the Mormons. There's not this or that, you'll be put to death with Islam. It's not you got to do a certain amount of things, a certain pressure of the Watchtower Society looking down your back and watching your every move in the Jehovah's Witness Church. Our God just says, love people and love me. And that's it. It's easy, my friends. Can we do that? What if we really did that? What if we really stepped out and did that? Who knows what could happen here within this group, within our lives, within our workplace? Love people. Let me, let me, let me get a few examples. Let, let's just do this real quick, right now. Give me a few agape examples. Seriously, you, you know, if, you, if something comes to your mind or you're thinking about something, things or ways that you think that you can love somebody at your work, your friends, your family, love them in a different way than you normally do. Maybe it could be a great illustration for the rest of us. Any, anybody? Anything? I don't know, reach out to someone that you know that is uh, talking bad about you or something. Snap. Right behind your back and just give them love. Amazing. Did you hear that? Talk about wisdom, man. I need to sit down. Stand up sit down again. Because that was amazing. See, listen. Reaching out to somebody who's talking smack on you? Who does that? That's love like I've never heard of. Well, they talk smack on me, huh? Oh. I'm not only going to take their eye out, but their tooth, too. See? Reaching out to them. Why don't you take them out to eat? Why don't you just say, hey, you know, I just want to thank you for being such a good friend to me. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Let me love on you. Hey, that's supernatural, man. That's what God does. Oh, Josh, you've been sinning all day. You've been a bad friend. I love you. <laughs> Let me bless you. Here, watch, you know, watch what this happens. Watch what, stop that. 
No more love from you, King. You're too good. And see, people's lives are changed by that kind of love, aren't they, Adam? I mean, it's like, they're changed. You do something like that, they'll never be the same. I know a friend, if I can mention his name, but I won't, but he had a job, a construction job that he was able to do. He was going to make like three or four grand on this thing. And I'm talking like in, in like three or four days, maybe a week at the most. I mean, the jobs, they're really quick. Construction, you can make a lot of money if you work fast. His boss, he was on bad terms with his boss because he kind of left wrong and kind of dis- disbailed on him. He knows his boss is struggling. And, and he was stoked on this, this job because he's going to make all this money and buy something that he'd been wanting for a long time. Been talking about it, been looking for this, this thing that he wanted to buy, right? He tells me this. He's like, you know, the Lord just spoke to me and said, give him the job. And so I did. I just walked up to my boss, called him up. I think he called him up and he said, hey, you know, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I want to give you a job. You know, it's like going to bring you like three or four grand. I know to bless you. And so I just want to hook you up. Like, I couldn't believe it. He's just like, what? He's just speechless, you know. And he just like, thanks, man. I can't believe it. Nobody does that. Gave away four grand. Just gave it to him. That's supernatural. That's different. You guys, listen. Every single one of us need to be thinking about something that we can do just out of every single every I want every one of you to think about that. What is something supernatural, agape Jesus love that I can do? We need to seek the Father for that right now. That's what we need to do. I believe it. <coughs> so I'm going to pray that God reveals to you right now. And I'm going to give us about 20, 30 seconds to sit and think about what we can do or who we can do it for and what we're going to do. Can we do that? Will we sincerely think about what we need to do and then say it in our hearts? And you know what? We're going to even go further. I think we're going to write it down. Maybe all of you don't have pens, but you got to write this thing down. Or you got to call your cell phone and leave a voicemail. Or you need to do something. Seriously. We need to do what we say. Not only hears the word, but doers. Okay, We need to be acting out. No more of this, you've listened to me speak for three hours and you're exhausted by my words, but then we do nothing about it. That's ridiculous. We're Christians, we follow the King, we're disciples of Jesus, the least we can do is step out. Amen? Amen? So right now I'm going to pray and ask God to reveal that thing to you. And then I want you to sit and just talk to the Lord about it. Seriously, we need to figure this out. I need to figure out what I need to do. Okay? Let me, let me go before the Father. Lord, we as your people have come to you because, Lord, we want, to, we want to be loving like this. We want to love our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And we want to be loving people. Jesus, teach us how to do this. Teach us your ways, King. Lord, I pray for each one here in this room, and myself included. Father, reveal to us who we are to speak to, or who we are to minister to. In what way do you want us to bless them? In what way do we need to reach out and say something? How do we show that agape love? How do we show that love that you show? That is just crazy, and it doesn't make sense, and it's awesome, and it blows people away. And we get to point it back to you, Jesus, and say it's because of your love and because of what you've given us. 
So right now, God, I just ask for a miracle in every single one of our hearts and our lives. That you would rain down your spirit upon us and that you would show us exactly what you'd want us to do. We are your disciples and we want to step out and do these things. So please speak to us, Father. Let us know in this moment, in this time, exactly what we are to do. We're listening, Lord. Our ears are open. Speak to us in this time. Let's just talk to the Lord and just keep our minds open. You conversate with Him. You stay focused. If you need to talk with your mouth quietly, that's okay. If you just need to sit and meditate and think and let the Lord just place it upon you, then amen to that too. Let's spend some time with the King right now. Let's figure it out. hear your voice. We sense your spirit, Jesus. I trust that you have spoken to everyone. And God, I pray that we would carry out these things. Father, I pray that you would remind us and that you would put it in place on our hearts continually until we complete what you have asked us to do, what you have showed us to do, Jesus. Put it heavy on our hearts. We want to love people. We want to love you, Jesus. We want to be faithful unto you, King. So I commit all these things into your hands that you've spoken to us, and we are going to step out. We're your people, and you are our God. We say long live the King to you, Jesus. You are the greatest King. And we praise you that you are a God that changes our lives and works in us and makes us better people and gives us better lives. Lord, you've done enough. You've given us heaven. Why do we get to have good lives? We thank you for that. We lay our lives down before you. If there's anything else you need, you let us know, God. We're here for you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this night. Bless each one of these in your name. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for hanging in through my with my runny nose and all the rest. And, uh, hey, love you guys. I want us to be different, man. No more of this Christian stuff. I'm talking about disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's be it. Let's live it. Let's be real. Amen? Amen.